This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm a guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle. Please get in touch with us on our Facebook page, follow us, like us, whatever it takes. We would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as I know this industry is capable of. Welcome to this week's uh, Doc and the Guru. Gordon, how's it going? Uh, it's going reasonably well, yeah. I, I quite enjoyed the last session, but since then I've had to watch Arsenal play twice. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> all the excitement of being back in the real world has been eliminated in, in you know in five ugly goals. You one of those guys who's hoping for sort of a, a British lockdown again? Just lock it down. <laughs> uh, it's just not worth lock it down. Give Liverpool a cup, lock it down, put the Gunas out of them as well. <laughs> Anyway, must have been waiting for 30 years. So. Yeah, I, 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 no, oh, no. it's, it's going from bad to worse. Well, I mean, as, as a neutral guy, you know, Gordon, let me uh, keep you guys apart and I'll just, <laughs> I'll get involved. Mike, uh, today we've got Mike Sharman, uh, Gordon, the CEO of um, quite a few different companies and uh, we'll, we'll introduce him now. Mike, thanks very much for taking the time and, and being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and just, I mean, st- getting straight into it, um, over the last 10 years, I mean, geez, you guys have had a, an impressive run. I mean, you've got Retroviral, Retroactive, Webfluential, and now your latest one, Match Kit, that you launched a few weeks ago uh, with Brian Habana as, as the marquee name on that. I mean, would you mind just telling us shortly a little bit about what, what each of those companies do? And then a little bit later on, I want to just chat in a bit more detail on influencer marketing and then on, on Match Kit. I'd like to just delve into those two. But if you can just give us a, a sort of synopsis on, on a high level on those companies. Sure, thanks. I mean, I think that uh, for me, I've always been obsessed with storytelling. So I think there's almost like this obsession with um, filmmaking and marketing that have kind of formed this hybrid storytelling group of, of companies that, that I'm involved with. And um yeah, about 10, 12 years ago, I won a fancy dress competition to go to the UK. So I worked in London for a couple of years. And in 2008, I signed up to Twitter and I just was completely hooked. I used to spend my commutes on the tube, uh, checking out tweets, following people. 
um, really analyzing where the social space was going and, you know, looking at analytics on my own personal blog where I used to mess around. And I, I felt that there was almost this missing piece in, um, in marketing. And for me, that was kind of like the intention when, when we launched Retroviral in 2010 was creating this hybrid that was almost like what we'd like to call the holy trinity of marketing. So it was, it was digital, it was PR, and it was activation. Um, because this one thing I used to always bang on about was how the more digital savvy we become, the more we crave human interaction. So you can't just have channels in isolation. You almost have to have them organically interacting uh, and engaging with one another. So Retroviral was launched in 2010. And since then, we've um, fortunately had, we've had some good runs of brands and, and clients that we work with. And we love working with challenger brands. Uh, I think it's almost like that uh, David Goliath-esque kind of approach to marketing and, and not wanting to be the biggest, but being the best. And, and for us, we have, we made more brands go globally viral than any other agency in Africa. And we leverage tactics such as social media, community management, always on content. Uh, we create content for YouTube. We create content that uh, becomes TV commercials. Uh, we do outdoor stunts with uh, streaming integration. So it's, it's a whole hybridization of, of using these different platforms. Um, and then off the back of that, we were one of the first influencer-focused agencies in South Africa before influencer marketing was even a term. And then back in 2013, uh, we took that IP and that that thinking around those relationships and we said, how can we productize this? So um, Mary, Dave and I, we worked on the launch of, of Webfluential, where it was basically the opportunity to create a connection between brands and influencers. And then that obviously became its own, own business and, and spun out and, and has done really well subsequently. And then in 2018, uh, Brian Abana and I were at school together back in the day, and we started chatting because he was coming to the end of his rugby career. He was having some knee injury problems. He'd been at Toulon. And um, what's fascinating about um, the European structures within their player management is that a lot of the athletes, they have access to uh, tertiary education opportunities. Brian actually started out studying a BSc IT, but then um, a small matter of professional rugby and going on to the heights of superstardom kind of sure. got in the way. So for him, the Toulon opportunity was great because he got to revisit a lot of his interests, his uh, dynamism from an, an IT perspective, as well as social media and understanding of being a professional personal brand and what that meant to be as an athlete. And it was kind of like part of his first generation in terms of really unlocking value from a social media perspective. And we said, listen, what, what, what can we do in the sports space? So um, we took a punt. And for me, I'm not a business plan fan. For me, I'm, I'm more around the idea of, of something and being able to spot a gap and spot an opportunity. And for me, I feel like your, your customers and your clients, they're the ones that ultimately dictate where your business goes, grows, morphs in, in terms of its early phases. So we said, let's just start. Let's launch something. And, and Retroactive was the launch of a sports storytelling digital agency. Uh, we had one of my best mates who um, was our guinea pig. He had never run five kilometers and similarly had never posted to Instagram. I don't know if anyone on the show has ever not posted to Instagram. I think that would be a, a real wow factor. But um, yeah, you know, we took Hobbo, who was overweight, and we partnered him with Biogen. He had a biokineticist, a trainer, and he pretty much went from walking to completing the half Ironman in Durban. And that was our first foray into a pure sports play with uh, Ben Kopinski, Brian Habana, and Shaka Susulu. And um, at the end of last year, at the end of the, the victorious World Cup run, 
um, we started looking at at the different players on the Springbok team. So many of them don't even have a website. So many of them um, haven't registered their own domain. So even now, like there's domain squatters sitting mm. on so many of their URLs where you'd have to spend $100,000 plus, 1.8 million rand plus, mm. uh, trying to get those domains back. And um, we started looking at like what kind of product could we build that doesn't compete with social, but it actually complements social. And and that's where this whole thinking around MatchKit came from. MatchKit is essentially a, a website builder focused on athletes in particular. It's mobile focused. It's something that uh, you, you as an athlete, you can get access to your stats. You can help yourself commercialize your personal brand better. You can sell merchandise, both physical and um, voice notes and videos without any dealings with logistics or fulfillment. And it's been quite a good run, fortunately. So, so that's a little bit of a of an elevator pitch in terms of where we're at and the stuff we're working on. And uh, I'll stop stealing the limelight. <laughs> no, that's great, Mike. Thanks very much. I mean, you know, that's it gives our listeners a good overview of um, of where you're at. And, and just on that last point, I mean, certainly having you know worked myself with many sportsmen, Brian included, through the years. Um, you know, the guys have got better in terms of, of, of agent and player management and professionalism, but certainly, you know, looking at MatchKit, and I've looked at it two or three times as, a, as an aggregator site, I think it's probably a long overdue digital tool to pull it together, you know, that, um, and, 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 and I think one of the points you make in one of the releases I read was, again, probably an obvious one that a lot of the guys forget the, the guy who pays them, the sponsor. You know, so it's quite nice to see, you know, that the sponsor's logo has come up early. Um, it's a click-through on, on, on the site. And, and so people understand the commercial side besides just putting up the player stats and all the rest of it, which most players probably know, but um, they don't always thank the sponsor. So that's great. Yeah, and I think that's the insight, right? Is like we've worked with um, a few different athletes of different tiers, of different levels of sport, uh, especially over the last two years of Retroactive. But, I mean, Ben and I first met when we documented some content back in 2011 for the New Zealand Rugby World Cup. And the thing that it always fascinates me is that the players are so focused, the athletes are so dedicated to their time on the field, that it becomes quite easy to forget who's actually helped propping you up in the background. Mm. And for those athletes that are, are purposefully driven by sponsors, I mean, I've sat in enough interviews with athletes where they forget to name drop. And I say to mm. them afterwards, guys, listen, the reason why we're on this interview, you're not my client as an athlete. The brand is my client. Yeah. And to make sure that everybody's benefiting here, you have to name check when you're in an, in, in an interview. And so many of those moments go past by. And the sponsors need to have that love. They need to have that time in the sun because that's the return on investment for them, for them putting money behind you and investing into you. And, and for someone such as Brian, you know, he's been the absolute consummate professional in his in his career mm. like he developed relationships with the likes of adidas very early on and he's been with adidas for 18 years now the mm. likes of land rover those sorts of brands he understood the importance of both the relationship the give and take and also sharing in the opportunity to expand how to make better content together so that there's an authentic link between brand and athletic influencer mm. mike just sort of picking up on on some of the narrative i've, I've followed with you as well i mean that I got a little bit lost. I mean, I think you, you talked about the, uh, the the match kit offering at one point as a bento box, which which I thought was quite a helpful way of describing the packaging thing. But I got a little bit lost between the role of, of a match uh, kit and the agent. So, you know, I get it at the top end. I think you call them the one percenters or the, or the tier one athletes. They've got their own team. So you don't play in that, um, that space. But 
if I was somebody who wasn't a one percent or I was you know a, a school leaver, etc. I mean, isn't isn't there a temptation or, or a natural opportunity to play in the agent space there as well with somebody that hasn't quite got the profile yet? You can build a profile and be the agent, or are they mutually exclusive uh, in your mind? So for me, I think that MatchKit was never designed to eat the, the agent's lunch, and when we're having a lot of really successful conversations with the agents, um, because I think that there are two streams of thought here. I think the one is you have an agent. You have social, and and social is never better than a consolidated web presence. It's just easier, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where things like Instagram, it's easy to post. You look at absolute best. Filters change the game, and it's something that you can always put the content out there in a very easily packaged space. The second stream is that when you Google so many of these athletes, I like to use the Dale Stain example a lot of the time. Like if you Google Dale Stain now, if you see that first page of Google, you might see uh, Dale's Instagram account and you might see Dale's Twitter account. But all the other 15, 20 links that are on that first page or whatever served to you by Google are pieces of content that Dale isn't in control of. Those are posts from The Guardian. Those are posts from CrickBuzz or CrickInfo or whatever mm. it may be. And for us, if you really want to understand the importance of earning and owning your commercial brand, it starts with one space that I as a fan I as a potential sponsor, I as a potential agent, I can Google you and I can immediately get to a space when I'm able to contact you very easily and also am able to see your ecosystem of other touch points. And I think that's the, the real differentiator here with MatchKit is that the social world is very fragmented and disconnected. With a MatchKit, you're able to go to one link, one destination, one domain, and then you're able to see everything about that athlete who his foundation is, who she is sponsored by, who she is interested in from a stats perspective and who her followers and fans are. And for us, like that's almost like the coming together of this big bang and bringing it all into one space so that I only ever have to go to one location and then from there I can jump out into the various social networks that you are prolific on. And that's why we brought in the ability to embed a YouTube link because once again, so many sports have so many differing rights issues so if we have an embeddable youtube link we circumnavigate the rights issue on that front and then as influencers as athletes are they're starting to have a foray into new channels so tiktok for example is on the rise we've seen it with lockdown tiktok has been one of the most viral distributors of content because it has the ability to really permeate all the channels so we have a tiktok embeddable opportunity where you can post your own tiktok or you can post a TikTok from a fan or a broadcaster that showcases you at your professional best. Mm -hmm. So we've really interrogated as much as possible about this ecosystem. There's been a mix of, of proper science with the likes of, of O'Brien, who's lived this journey, as well as those of us who are like the ultimate fans as we see ourselves, as well as what do we want as the ultimate fan opportunity and perspective. And I think that's where we've, we've really, like, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of where we've come from, saying, this is a project that was going to be something on the back burner. And then because of lockdown, we accelerated the pace so that we could get it live, get it to market with what I think is better than minimum from an MVP yeah. so that we can then start testing and saying, what does it actually do? What, how does it benefit? And what is the upside for both agents and sponsors alike? And for me, the reason why we went live in lockdown was so that we could have access to these athletes 
for probably once in their lives, once in their careers. Mm. And that's where we've been fortunate. We've been able to speak to athletes directly. We've been able to take the time to have Zoom calls and speak to people around the world. Mm. And off the back of that, we've already received such invaluable feedback that the next iteration of the homepage and that initial sign-up funnel will be even easier when we go live with our next uh, version of an upload. Just, a, you know, you've raised a couple of points there. Um, I'm also intrigued, you know, you, you've referenced the athlete as a she. And I think typically in South Africa, old guys, we kind of would have expected a he. So, I, And I know in your previous narrative as well, it's something you've picked up on. Just a question then in terms of the rollout. One of the areas which I was most overwhelmed by when I went to the, the Olympics in London in 2012 was the Paralympics. Um, yes. Even the greatest Paralympics in the world aren't one percenters in terms of the uh, the wealth that they can generate for themselves. Is there any plan to to roll out beyond that? And and not just disabled athletes, but I mean, it strikes me listening to you and thinking of of artists and musicians in this country who come from communities that are disadvantaged. What a tremendous opportunity to develop art and music in all its forms in South Africa, beyond the sport. Is there a rollout potential for that? You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. Yeah, as I think, once again, there's a couple aspects within the question. So I'll deal with the Paralympic side of things and the growth of women's sport and esports as a, as a first point. So... What is fascinating for me, I'm a real stats nerd and I love looking at figures and, and interrogating thereof. And I think what's, what's been the greatest tipping point for women's football has been the previous Women's World Cup. Not just from a South African perspective. Yes, Banyana did incredibly well and they made us incredibly proud. But the fact that the global audience figures are on the rise, the fact that young girls are being inspired by athletes and, and sports people. And having worked with Kirsten Lantman recently, which I know we'll touch on in a few moments, mm. um, We've seen how women really can take ownership of once traditionally male-dominated sports, such as hard enduro. And the real purpose around MatchKit was to help level the playing field for athletes of all tiers and all disciplines. So whether you play in a first division, whether you participated in a Paralympics, whether you're an esports enthusiast or um, a less broadcasted sport, such as a triathlon, those are opportunities for people to understand they are brands first and foremost, then they are athletes. And if you can tell a narrative and you can construct that brand thinking, you are one, you're more commercial, and two, there's a whole world of opportunities that exist, not just within like the commercial brand space, but in things such as motivational speaking, appearances, uh, helping brands develop solutions for their staff internally that can galvanize employees and internal comms. So I think that's like the, that's the first part of that question is being able to leverage the idea and understanding you are a brand. And if you're going to maximize your playing field fame, your time in the, in the sun, because your career is going to set at some stage. And whether that's through retirement or if it's through injury, most of the world has this headspace that they're going to work till they're 60. Athletes. They're going to work till they're 30, mm. and then they're going to have to work again till they're 60. So there's almost like this duality in terms of the understanding of where they're at. And I think that's what we're most excited about is like we want to help athletes think with a marketing cap on because as fans, we know that those individuals can get a better 
return on investment and maximize the longevity of their careers if they're thinking with a marketing hat on. And that's why this, it doesn't just help the individual who is not represented, it helps the individual who is also represented. So for the agents out there, this is an opportunity for them to put all of their athletes onto a match kit. From them, they can actually give weekly reports to their brands to say, well, look at how many views Henry Skuman got on his match kit this week. These are the followers. This is the demographic. This is the, the part of the world that they come from. Mm-hmm. And with that, it's empowering the agents to actually have a digital tool with data that they can upsell for greater opportunities. So I think that's the, the first part of that question. The second part of the question, we've had quite a few questions around uh, personal branding. And this would benefit uh, musicians. This would benefit entrepreneurs, all those kinds of things. And for me, I'm a hyper-focused individual when it comes to launches of new products. Retroviral literally just did amplification for brands when we started. Retroactive is just sports storytelling. Webfluential was just connecting brands with influencers. And and I think that, you know, I like to make the joke that, yeah, sure, we can roll this out into music. We'll call it drum kit. And, um, you know, like <laughs> that's always like the opportunity is there's, there's almost this this willingness or want to go as broad as possible to start off with because then you are fishing with as wide a net as possible and then you're able to scale a lot quicker. For me, I'm an anti-scale thought process person because I feel like you have to handhold those first 50, those first 100 customers. Um, I I can't think if it's Ferris or or Godin who talks about those 1,000 customers. It could be someone else completely different. But when you get to those first 1,000 customers, that's when you really start understanding a product that has scalable opportunities. So for me, like there's a lot of stuff in terms of how I like to bootstrap businesses. I don't like to necessarily raise funding. And I like to understand what the insights are given directly to me from my customers that I'll get on the phone with, I'll WhatsApp with them directly, I'll sit on them with calls. So I like to spend a lot of my time really understanding my customers' needs because you can only build it as well as you think you can. All sorts of things. It's like, you know, I use the analogy of of stand-up comedy being cousins to marketing. Communication can only be effective when you test it with other people. You can only understand those premises once they've landed on a group of people before you go out to the public at large. So for me, hyper-focus, see how the success of that is. And then sure, I mean, maybe there's a white-labeled opportunity to grow into other sectors, whether it be entrepreneurship, whether it be music and arts. Um, but for me right now, athletes, the athlete world, the athlete superstar, that's, that's the focus. Thanks, Mike. And, and again, you know, from both of our sides, we wish you all the best uh, with MatchKit because I think certainly from my experience, it's long overdue and, 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 you know, good luck for that. Just changing tack slightly. And one of the things that I always liked doing and liked doing and, and uh, enjoy with you guys is, is absolutely squeezing every drop out of things and leveraging. Let's just talk a little bit about the Kirsten Lundman story into Dakar. And I found that was a, a great story. And just for, for our listeners, if you could just give us a, a, a synopsis of, of how that came about, uh, the brands involved, and, and, and what were some of the results from that? Yeah, so it was a really interesting one. I mean, we um, were briefed around a boardroom table where Kirsten was sitting and she was telling us her story about uh, a race that she had. For those of you who don't know, Kirsten Lantman is a hard enduro motorbike rider and she's probably tougher than about 98% of the population. And she started telling the story about how she came off her bike in Botswana. She hit a tree stump and she lacerated her spleen. And in that moment, she should have died. I mean, she door to door took about 36 hours to get her back from 
Gaborone back to Joburg to go to intensive care, go through the operation, etc. So she should have died. And for her getting back up onto the bike, understanding the like, headspace of getting back to a very high speed, high pace kind of environment. Um, and, and her thing was that she wanted to go to the Dakar rally because no African woman had ever finished the bike class of that rally. It's one of the most hardcore events in the world. I mean, even this year, I think there were, there were several people who passed away mm. on the race. Yeah. Um, there's the likes of, of Joe Evans, you know, he's also been through trials and tribulations. He's an incredible motivational speaker. And when you watch the content from all these different individuals, it, it really is, there's no joke. And Kirsten is a hard enduro rider. You know, she's dealing with a lot of technical riding, up rocks and mountain faces and all that kind of stuff. And facing the ultimate demons was high speed, especially after her near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And Dakar has a lot of open planes where there's fast, rom, 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 open the throttle and just kicking it. And um, we were told the story and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Like, you know, people were like mm. welling up and some, there was some bouncy throats around. Yeah. And when we heard the story, for me, like I, I, I like to visualize with like both a marketing hat on, storytelling hat on and a third like PR hat on. And when I heard that story, I was like, this is absolute PR gold. For me, there has to be a gut feeling when you're listening to a story. And there has to be a gut feeling when you're listening to a campaign pitch. Because there's something about it that isn't just marketing. Like it's, it's human truth. And it's, and it's human insight. And those are the kinds of stories that we as human beings gravitate towards the most and the easiest. Because it is so filled with emotion. And um, Ryobi had sponsored her. She'd gone and she'd won in Mazuga. She'd won a whole bunch of amazing races. So she had her ticket to go to Dakar. And we were brought on to elevate her profile and take that storytelling to the next level so that we could tell both South Africans, but the globe, the Kirsten Lantman journey. And we started off small. And once again, like hyper-focused, this is a great story. Who do we focus? So we told the Sunday Times that story. Uh, friend of ours is a journalist and she writes in the lifestyle sections and Kirsten's story appeared on page three of the Sunday Times and off the back of that an EMCA producer read the story put her onto EMCA the next morning and it started building that momentum and then suddenly because there were these other uh, prominent and credible outlets sharing that story it became a lot easier for us to then push out the Kirsten Lantman story. Like, this is what she's doing. This is what she's up to. And then in uh, in tandem to this, we were running monthly social media content on Ryobi's page, little mini documentaries that we like to story tell with on Facebook. And um, we just continued to build that momentum until eventually um, it built up to Dakar. And then at the Dakar rally, she became a Dakar hero, which means that there's probably like one of 12 athletes during the entire event that are followed daily by the Dakar crew. They put GoPros on your dash. And uh, it's a mixture of wild cards, people that are like, guaranteed to win different categories. If you think about uh, Fernando Alonso, because he was in the in the, the sure. vehicle class, yeah. like he was followed because he's a person of interest. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of created this perfect storm just by us securing the right types of coverage and telling the right types of stories about Kirsten. And then eventually it got to a stage where we pitched the story to carte blanche, we pitched it to CNN, uh, she was on Red Bull TV during the rally. There was a, a terrestrial feed that goes out to all of the big channels around the world. So every day for half an hour, there was a highlights package on, in our market on Supersport. And Kirsten would appear like almost every day on that highlights package. So it just created this perfect storm uh, with a really strong narrative. 
And when she was on Carte Blanche, when she was on CNN, uh, African Voices, it really gave us the opportunity to take that story to the world. And based on like Talkwalker data and all the kinds of tracking companies that we used, her story reached more than 1 billion people around the world. And for me, like it was just such an inspiring mm. story because one, it's not a, a top three popular sports. Mm. Two, it's a, a young woman who's participating in a traditionally male dominated space. And for me, like that's the thing that like it's a challenger mindset. Like yeah. we love going against the grain and we love sticking it to the man. And, and that was a really great opportunity to showcase that. Yeah. And for us as retroactive, you know, not, not even being two years old, we won the um, Young Agency of the Year, the Sports Industry Awards. We won uh, Best Sponsorship of a Team or Individual with that um, Iron Man story. We'll be entering Kirsten's story into a whole host of other awards. She's won some amazing gold at the PR Awards. So, yeah, we've like, for me, winning awards isn't the everything, you know, and I, I think it's a little bit like the, the cherry on top for all the hard work that we do. But for me, like, it's just, it's exciting to be recognized for the stuff that we're doing that goes against so much mainstream attention and and that's what we're proud of so just to you know, pick up there i mean you talked about going against the grain and, and tear-jerking stories i think for most of us um you know after the world cup last year watching or the, the whole sia colisi rasi rasmus story evolving and and discovering this relationship going back to you know sia being a young boy um you know again looking forward to it how do you from a media perspective i'm looking and how my advertising clients can get involved with with the whole match kit exercise beyond the individual. So, I mean, at a community level, because one thing would break my heart is if there's another Sia Khaleesi out there somewhere um, and, and, and he loses out on a chance to become, you know, the captain of a World Cup winning team, it would break my heart because that, that, that would be devastating. And we need more conduits to recognize talent earlier and, and, and alarm, you know, um, I think you used the word that my wife will never forgive you for using the word commercialable, but I like it. You've invented a lovely <laughs> term. Um, she's an English teacher, by the way, so don't take it personally. But so how would we how, how would we make young athletes from disadvantaged communities commercialable at a team rather than an individual level so we don't lose the next Sia Khaleesi? Well, I think that um, have you guys watched the, the Last Dance with Michael Jordan? No, I haven't. No, no. You haven't? I thought everybody on the planet had watched that Netflix series. I, I watched the last dance with Arsenal uh, the other night. That's uh, that was quite no, depressing. No, no, no. You don't want to bring up you don't want to bring a background in that's gonna make you cry into your, your jersey. Um no, I, I think that like, that's a really great case study to showcase like Jordan was like and probably will be debatable, one of the best players the NBA has ever produced and will ever produce. And what's fascinating, like that is the ultimate team sport. But by building that individual and his confidence, he was able to then pass that energy onto his teammates, Scotty Pippen, even Dennis Rodman, who was an absolute dropout by other team standards. I mean, he would fit in and he would just make it work because there was such a desire to continue to impress Michael as that individual. So I think that there's a huge benefit of growing yourself personally, even if you are a team sport player. Um, we're creating some content now with uh, Mapimpi, which I'm really excited about, which I'll share with you guys in the coming months. But I think that's a, it's a really good example of your point about people that have come out of very difficult circumstances and how they've gone on to become world champions and world beaters. And for me, I think that this once again reinforces the importance to understand and to communicate that thought leadership around the importance of what it means 
to be a personal brand. So when we can start getting youngsters to think about them being a brand, they start thinking about the life outside of the field in a different manner. And we talk about this year being a lost generation of sports people. Um, a pimpy played in, in the Eastern Cape version of an of a Easter festival called the Dali Mpofu Easter Festival. If you think about those privileged kids that play at Western Cape, Easter festivals or Saints or St. John's or Kays or all those kinds of tournaments. Think about that generation of rugby, just rugby in particular, of so many of those kids that will be lost to the system because there was no one to scout them at those tournaments. So for us, like we're looking at ways to say this year is gone, right? But how can you use digital channels and digital tools in particular to showcase the fact that you have skills and that you're not relying on the actual physical game to showcase that. How are you leveraging digital opportunities to showcase your best tries of the year, whether it's a handheld video or mm-hmm. uh, a mobile, or if it's you've like, got the best shibobo skills from football perspective. So we want individuals to understand that the internet is their conduit to be able to tell the world what their remarkable story is. And if you go back to you know, the likes of, there's an individual called Lesizwe. Like he was unknown a couple of years ago. I mean, he's not an athlete, but now he's one of South Africa's most loved influencers because he's telling a story. He used that content creation device in his pocket, put out on the internet, and people started creating more and more content off the back of that. And athletes have the most remarkable skill set to showcase their remarkable gifts on the internet. Well, I'm going to throw this back to the other most beloved social influencer in (laughs) South Africa. Doc, I think it'd be great. Thanks, Mike. I'm going to leave it to the doc to wrap. Mike, thanks. And I, and I think, you know, it's quite interesting that you, and you've said it you know, sort of two or three times now, think of yourself as a brand ahead of an athlete. And most of, you know, the time that I've worked with, with players, they would always see themselves as a swimmer or a tennis player or a rugby player first. Um, and then later on, and, and I think Brian was perhaps the modern generation exception to that, where, you know, didn't ever take away from his on-field performances, you know, previous player of the year, Rugby World Cup, and all the rest of it. But I think he always understood it. So, you know, just from my side, I wish you guys all the best, because certainly, and it's not just the youngsters, but also, you know, guys coming towards the latter part of their career, it's never too late to get involved. And, and on that note, Mike, how do guys, what's the best way to get hold of you? Uh, and not just from a young athlete, a brand, you want to get involved, you want to hear about this go viral globally notion. Uh, how do they get hold of you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm easily Googleable. There's another word for your <laughs> English. Um, I'm, I'm Mike Sharman, S-H-A-R-M-A-N, uh, across social, across digital, across all the different platforms. Um, and then on my bios, I've got links to all the businesses, Retroviral, Influential, Retroactive, MatchKit. So yeah, Mike Sharman is always the easiest way to find me via Google or on um, on all good social networks. Yeah. Great. Thanks, uh, Mike. And I appreciate it. And again, you know, to, to our listeners out there, you know, like Gordon and I always say every week, get involved, you know, be part of the discussion. Mike has, has done a lot of good and continues to do a lot of good work with his team. So um, if you're somebody out there in the marketing media fraternity, um, you know, it's not hard to, to, to get onto Google and, and be part of it. Mike, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, we will watch very carefully and closely at, uh, at your, your successes with all of your products and companies. And uh, again, until next time, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and thanks for taking the time. And yeah, I really appreciate the support. Thanks, guys. Great. That's another episode of The Doc and the Guru from Gordon and I. Until next week, uh, catch you then. Take care. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. 
please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.